Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer here with Jeff Cohen, back with you on 610 AM ESPN Radio, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, what a week. Let's get it started from trades to injuries. The Eagles are now 7-1, and one, and we just saw a pretty amazing World Series. That was an amazing World Series. Seven it, games again, that's two years in a row. And it was some exciting baseball records set left and right. You're a baseball guy. Was this like you were in your glory? It, it, it was great. I didn't get to watch the first half of the game because I was down at the Sixers, which was also amazing. Okay. But this seven-game series like had everything. I mean, there, there was there was no nuance of baseball that was not played in this, it, except for shutouts. Some of the managerial decisions will be questioned for a while. Rob Roberts was brutal. He he did have a, a tough series. Well, let's jump right into it. So uh, obviously, Astros win the other night in Game Seven. Uh, you know what? You didn't have to watch the Astros and the Dodgers because three years ago, Sports Illustrated Illustrated already said that was going to happen, which makes you wonder whether or not there's a conspiracy and it was fixed. I was just wondering if they could review the Phillies farm system and tell me what year we're going to win it in (laughs) because that's that's really all I'm interested at this point. Is that writer still at Sports Illustrated? I think so. Because wherever he is, somebody should scoop him up. I think he actually commented that the jinx is broken about the Sports Illustrated cover. Well, no, Um, but the jinx is the year after or right after you're on the cover. Wow. This is three years later. So as long as you can get somebody to put you on, three years from now, you'll be good. The cool thing is I saw that they this year's, like the cover now after winning the title, is basically the same shot of George Springer that they had three years earlier on the same type of cover. Now yeah. they've won it. It's, it's really... Would you have thought this at the beginning of the season, that this is what you saw? I mean, they you knew that they had the youth and the talent to to make a lot of waves, but the way that they played in this series, they, they really hit, hit the ball around. I had worries not about their offense. They have an incredibly talented offense. The problem with them is that they didn't have pitching. Well, Justin the beginning Berlander of this, will help you out with that. Well, yeah, but they didn't have him until a month before the end of the season. What a big move for them to get him, by the way. That was a great move because his leadership in that series, if you remember, they were down in game two, and he went up to those guys and said, hey, look, I played against you. I know what you're capable of. Now just show the world. Yeah, And that seemed to just kind of pick them up. But to me, the biggest part of this is who would have ever thought that cast off from last year of the Phillies, Charlie Morton, would be, <laughs> would be pitching the last four innings of Game 7 of the World Series. Phillies fans could have told you that that would happen. We, we always have somebody that didn't make it here that goes somebody else. Charlie Morton? He, look, so is Clay Buckholtz next year going to be the, the guy who closes out the World Series somewhere? Starters didn't go very long in Game 7. Uh, they well, didn't hang the around sh- very long. It's the shortest that the two starting pitchers in Game 7 have ever gone. Now, I questioned why they didn't start Kershaw with how long they kept him in the you game can, yeah, and the way he was pitching. If you're prepared to use him for that many innings and that many pitches throughout the game, why aren't you going to put him out there to start? You, do you think that they really planned to use him No, that but many they innings? had him available. And if you have him available for that much, I think you do your team a disservice letting them get down five runs. Darvish did not look good at all in this series. He did not have yeah, but it see that see that that wasn't the problem to me. To, to me, the problem was is that if you knew Darvish wasn't pitching well, 
then maybe what you should have been doing is using Alex Wood or Kenta Maeda. It's not well, they went through a whole season, I went thought, over a hundred games with those guys. I thought Robert screwed up the bullpen in game three and never really got it back. Right. I, I mean the way that he used them there, he, he just he attacks them too much and they're playing catch up to try and get there. Yes, they made it to a game seven. How fitting was it that Chase Utley's possible last play was him getting hit by, pitch, a, hit pitch. by a pitch leaning into it? And then scoring. You, you gotta love that that kind of happened. You maybe wanted to see him get a title. Yeah, what? by the way, back, back to the pitching issue. You know that was the, the most pitching changes by one team ever? What was it? 32. That's 32 insane. pitching changes in seven, in, in seven games. That's, That's insane. insane. You can't do that. It's just it's just not good for the pitcher's arms. Nobody knows what's going on, and he's pulling guys out. I mean, you can't you can't go an inning and a third with your starting pitcher, and then bring in somebody else and have him pitch to one guy. It doesn't make any sense, it, especially in Game Seven when you don't know how long this game is going to go. Can you imagine if the the, the World Series would have come down to some some utility player pitching? It was possible. Yeah. They really they mismanaged that, and I'm sure he'll be second guessed a lot in LA for it. Uh, and the Astros went with basically no bullpen. They did. They, their they, starters were their bullpen. They were. They got they got Ken Giles for specifically for this reason, and traded a lot to get him. And took him out after he blew a couple times. And, and said, "That's it, Charlie Morton's now our yeah, closer. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> you're, you've you've had enough." Um, I know that a personal pet peeve for you is Ed Wade. Um, you think he does well, no. not get the credit he deserves yes, at times. Yes, that's the pet peeve. Uh, I thought you'd find it interesting that his last first-round pick for the Astros in that organization was George Springer. I have always said it's it's not that I think that Ed Wade did everything right, but I think that people come down way too hard on him considering if you go back and look at the Phillies, he's the guy that put together – the Ryan Howard and Cole Hamels and Chase Utley and that whole group then ended up winning the World Series. And then he goes to the Astros and puts together a plan there and gets the first building block. And obviously, George Springer was the right guy to draft because he just won the MVP. Well, and he had some series uh, tied with Reggie Jackson and Chase Utley for five home runs in the series. Other records, he said, most extra base hits with eight, most total bases with 29. Four consecutive games with a home run. Uh, you can't have a much better series than he had. No. They, they're a fun young team to watch, though, the enthusiasm and the excitement. By the way, the thing that I wanted to see that I didn't get to see, the Sixers were playing Houston, and so they went to the World Series game on Sunday night. Yeah. How did they get tickets? I, I'm sure they know people. <laughs> I desperately wanted a picture of Joel Embiid standing next to Jose Altuve. That was all I wanted was was our giant they standing, put next him on the, his shoulders. standing next to the guy that's five six that he can barely reach down and touch his toes and it's uh I, they seem like they had a good time there the Sixers at the game I don't blame them for they, they they look like they're having a good time just in general they do and and that we'll get into that a little bit we we have in here about Dave Roberts over managing. Do you think they make a change because of it? No. Or mm -hmm. he comes back and they just, you know, he learns from it, they think? I, I th my pr The problem is, is I think this is the wave of the future. Uh, I don't think that a lot of the general managers see what Roberts did as wrong. It, all this analytics leads to over-justifying and, and over-managing who comes in the game. So it's literally, if you have a guy that is right-handed and pitches, you know, 
113 against right-handed batters, but you have a left-hand, you have a guy in the game who's maybe 200, they immediately take him out. There's no sense of let's preserve our pitchers, let's make I can get this guy out. They just ignore that now. And it must be frustrating to the starting pitchers that they get yanked like this. Rich Hill pitched two very good he looked games good. in the World Series, and he didn't make it to the fifth inning twice. Not because he didn't pitch well, but because they brought somebody in who statistically did better against the batter that was coming well, up. We're going to get to that in a minute with the new Phillies manager, because that's the direction that we're moving here in Philadelphia, and he comes from that Dodgers organization. Hey, but, I had a Rich Hill comment. Though. Go ahead. So we've talked on this show a lot about headhunting yes. and throwing at batters. Yes. So Rich Hill has, there was a little bit of controversy, I don't know if people realize this, where Yuri Gurriel made a, a rather racist statement or gesture towards you, Jar Darvish, after hitting Yeah, I'm going to let you finish your point because I want to go on a rant on that for a yeah. second. So, so you go so, ahead. So Rich Hill comes out. And what does he do? Instead of throwing at him and risking hurting him and also hurting his own team, he steps off the mound to let at Dodger Stadium, which was a signal to basically, hey, fans, boo him. And which they did, loud which they did. and long. Okay, and that so, was class. So a few things. Yeah. A little bit of class from him last night as he tipped his cap to Darvish on the mound. Mm-hmm. What is major You're league about baseball Guriel? to Goriel yeah. to to Darvish realized mm-hmm. he was wrong it was inappropriate okay whatever what is major league baseball doing suspending him for five games to start the next season and nothing in the World Series it's not really a punishment what is, it? is that why do anything that that's meaningless like why don't you just say oh we'll suspend you for preseason next year you can't go lift weights a little bit. I mean, you're in the biggest series, you do something that the league finds inappropriate, and they can't be bothered to take action serious enough that it's consequential to the series. I think the way that—I agree with you, but I think the way that Darvish handles it, handled it with the class Classy. that he handled I think that gave them almost it consent diffused, to it go ahead. the situation. Yes. The way, if Darvish or other people would have reacted differently, mm-hmm. I think it would have put more pressure on Major League Baseball to take further action. But we keep talking about these leagues being forced to take action. When are yeah. they going to take the action that they should? When are they going to do what they, they should they for the do best that. things with their league? Do you know well, how they, much of they, their audience— They thought this was the best thing for the league. Do you league? know how much of their audience— is Asian American a large part? <laughs> and, and a they, large part, and they it. decided that it wasn't important enough to take action that would impact that. I, I mean, it just boggles my mind how these leagues make decisions about what's best for their image, and then you have to hear about them protecting the brand at the same time. Well, while they, they, they were sides they, they were not making a decision on what was best for their image. They made a decision on what was going to be best for ratings for Game Six and Game Seven. And look, the ratings paid off. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying, don't come to me and and you know it's, cry how how great you are, and then this is what happens. So I just I found that to be kind of ridiculous. Let's go back to game five for a second, because that game was insane. Uh, You had three run home runs back to back to back. You had uh, there were 400 pitches thrown in that game with seven (laughs) home runs. It was the second game in World Series history behind, unfortunately, the Blue Jays beating the Phillies in 93 that had 12 runs scored. Uh, It was the first different. Have players of twenty three years old or more that homered in a series. I mean, it's just insane the records that they set. The whole the whole series was like that, and which is another reason that you did not want to use pitchers just willy nilly because you see what's been happening in this series. So why in the world would you shorten up your pitching staff? It was the the Astros became the first team in postseason history with three game tying home runs in a game. 
I mean, the drama of them continuing to go down and continue to fight back was just fantastic. How'd you like to have A.J. Hinch as a manager? He seems to handle these young kids really well. I, they had a they had a good game. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they, he had a he had a very good series with those young players. I guess now we'll see whether or not Gabe Kapler is going to be able to do what AJ Hinch did, huh? Well, that's a good segue to us. So we have a new manager here in Philadelphia. He actually did his press conference on Thursday. Is he going to have time in between his bodybuilding? So let the jokes begin. Yes. Um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the manager, the good, the bad, from what you see? Because let's be honest, nobody really knows what we're getting right now with him. I don't think I don't know what we're getting right now. I mean, this is not a guy with a long history of managerial or coaching experience. As far as I can tell, the only managerial or coaching experience he has is coaching a failed um, Israeli team in the World Baseball Classic. So that's the extent of his coaching experience. He had a an unremarkable career as a player. And then he became uh, the guy who was director of player development for the Dodgers for the last couple of years. And I think what he's most famous for is cleaning out all the junk food from the minor league and major league complexes. So are we back to shakes and smoothies? Oh, he well, he's all organic food. And, you know, they already have the pictures of him with his shirt off with his eight-pack abs. So I guess you're not going to have any out-of-shape baseball players on the Phillies, I would think. I don't, I don't think the uh, 1993 Phillies would be a team that he would be happy with <laughs> as far as being in shape. Okay, so you had some strong opinions going into this about who and what you wanted for a manager. What are your thoughts now seeing him named about how the team is going to go forward. I, I honestly, I'm confused by this. I'm not critical of it because I don't know much about him. I don't think anybody does, but I, he does have seem to have that outward personality. He is a guy who embraces analytics, which is the opposite of the guy I thought would get the job and the guy I really wanted to get the job, which was Dusty Wathen. He's a guy that has been in the Philly system for quite some time. He's a former catcher. He he coached in single A, double A, triple A. A lot of the kids that you're now seeing come up have been under his tutelage. And I think he's done a good job with them, but he's old school. And I get I think that he was a victim of today's managers, which is to bring in these guys who will do the analytics. And and, and I'm not saying he wouldn't. But that's not his thing. I mean, when you watch him coach, he's an old school manager. I believe I saw something that the like four of the six managerial positions that are, were filled are going to be first time managers. So it's definitely the direction that they're going. Let's talk analytics for a second. He's a big analytics guy. And we just looked at a World Series that probably swung a little bit on decisions made because of that. Are you concerned that the pendulum will swing too far to the analytical approach to baseball as opposed to the practical, everyday approach of baseball? No, because st- I mean, you still have Andy, Andy McPhail here. You still have, you have Clintac, who, who does embrace a lot of that. But I think they will balance each other out, and I think that they, they'll, you'll have the kind of team that you want to have. I think that for Phillies fans, they're going to have to get used to this. And I think that's going to be the big thing, is when we start making moves like the Dodgers started making – People are just going to start screaming and booing, and they're going to have to realize that this is the way baseball is going, whether we like it or not. 
I, I want I want the old days. I want guys that could throw 130 pitches and finish a game. But that's apparently not the way that the future of baseball is going. So are we moving to five inning pitchers, or are we going to be yeah you know, six and man rotation? You might you might you might move to six man rotations. Yeah. Well, because these are these guys the, the the velocity at which a lot of these guys come up and throw. Their arms cannot handle this. Because my concern is as much the the head coach or the the manager of the team is the pitching coach, because the Phillies pitchers haven't really developed in recent years well, when they get to the major leagues. There's one I don't want who's apparently already texted for the job, which is Kurt Schilling. Yeah, I'll pass. Uh, yeah, Kurt apparently has been texting Kapler asking for the job, and, and let's hope that it's not Kurt Schilling because I don't think the Phillies need that aggravation. No, you want to talk about headlines that you don't want? Yeah. They need to take away his uh, phone and Twitter feed if they don't want to <laughs> have those. those. And, and what makes him think that he can coach anybody? I have no idea. Yeah. So you you believe, uh, you said Dusty Waltham has one more year on his contract. Correct. So he'll either go back and manage the AAA team again. I mean, they can release him from his contract. I don't think they will. I think he's a valuable member. He could end up being the bench coach. As you say, do you think um, they'll make him a bench coach? Obviously, I hope they've so. already moved Larry Boa upstairs, so they at least have one opening. Stairs is going to be out in San Diego. Yeah, I'm going to miss so having him. So that's another opening. McClure won't hopefully be back. And then what about Mickey Morandini? Nobody knows what's going to go on with him. With the analytics approach, are we going to go more towards a small ball approach as opposed to? Sort of the big, the big blast. No, because if you see the way the baseball is going, the swinging has changed. The, the it's all about velocity and, and launch, and launch speed angle, and, and because they're now look, my entire childhood and coaching other kids has always been swinging down on the ball, which creates the momentum for the ball to go up or to go straight. You don't want to pop it up, but now they're focusing on launch angles, and the launch angle is swinging upward. So you're getting a lot more home runs or strikeouts, which is why you have people like Aaron Judge. Your thoughts before we head to break on how the season ended for baseball. What shape is baseball in now after the ups and downs of the season, the teams that did well, the World Series that happened? Are they on a good path? I think baseball is on a good path, and I think people should stop worrying about whether the baseball is juiced. You know, there was a lot of talk about that in the World Series from the players themselves. Let me ask too. you: Do you, if the players aren't juiced, which is what I'm more concerned about, because for health reasons, I'm too? just going to tell you the best marketing campaign that Major League Baseball ever did was the Chicks Dig the Long Ball. It's not politically correct anymore, yeah. but that was their most successful marketing campaign, and they were they were right. It's not just women; right. people like excitement and home runs. Baseball loyalists and traditionalists like a good pitcher's duel like a bunt for a single that advances the runner over right so who you, cares if more, the baseball you're more different. casual fans like the excitement of a three-run home run where the crowd goes crazy mm -hmm. and they come out for a standing ovation i think that's the difference in in the audiences and what they look for yeah it's not just it's not even just the home run now it's the length of the home run yeah it's how and, long and, where did it land right i mean pitchers don't even turn around anymore there's certain times that they, the ball is hit and they just look down well and, you know the, but that's exciting uh, the the second and it is exciting like you know when hoskins hits it mm -hmm. you know it's gone just the sound of the crack of the bat you know you don't have to turn around and that's why the team like the phillies isn't you you asked about major league baseball but the phillies are in good shape because 
Can't you wait to see what Reese Hoskins does for a whole season? Oh, I can't wait to see. I, and I, I mean, we'll talk about it more. I feel that way about all the Philly sports teams right now. I'm, yeah. I feel like, you know, we're on the radio at a fun time where these teams have kind of cratered out and are starting to climb back up that sports ladder of relevancy. So let's it, hope it stays that way. Uh, let's do that. This is the heart of sports on 610 AM Sports. When we come back, we'll talk a little NFL and a big trade for the Eagles this week. Stick with us. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon residential landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer here in studio with Jeff Cohen. Jeff, why don't you introduce our guest right now? So right now we have Leroy Horde on the air. He is host of the show Tobin Beast and Leroy on Miami, 790 AM, The Ticket, which airs from 1 to 3 p.m. daily. If anybody's down in Florida, Miami area, make sure you check out the show. It's great. Leroy, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Good. We, we got no complaints right now. We, we got ourselves a new running back, and we're wondering how people are reacting there in Miami. Well, that, the, what we want to find out is whether or not we should be thanking Miami <laughs> for getting him, because it seems like a gift on the surface, but I have a feeling that well, there's more to it. I mean, not that we're aware of. We, look, this all started last year when the Dolphins played Seattle, and I guess... Um, Gates was so frustrated with J.J. about how he was going about his business, and this is all we really got, that he wasn't doing things the way he wanted him to, that he left him home. <laughs> That's now, a good start. This is the start. same guy that had three 200-yard games. So, you know, there, there's a fine line between, you know, with athletes, and, and you see it all the time, and this guy's so good that we have to make it work and we've had enough. And and so with that last year, I guess he had to start go this year. The things never I mean that contentiousness never went away. And now you have situations building where the offense is not really being that productive. And then he kinda I mean, he kinda threw a Molotov cocktail at, at Ajay last week, you know, saying that, you know, he wasn't – he's trying to hit the home run and not, you know, not just taking the little four or five-yard gains. 
which is amazing because he is one of the leaders in the league of yards after contact. It, um, it did seem so, a little bit out of place, the, the shot from the coach, and it seemed like things got personal there. It wasn't about right. his ability to run. And, and it seems like, I mean, you could tell us better being down there between the issues with the offensive line coach this year and their challenges up front on the offensive line. How much of, of his struggles earlier in the season were because of him and, and how much were because of the other factors going on with the offense? I mean, I, me personally, I, I mean, watching the games, I thought that he was making a lot out of nothing. Like he was, there was always penetration. He was always getting hit right away. Uh, anytime there was somewhere to run, he ran there. So to take in now, this is a team that, if not for a last-second score against the Jets, would have been shut out three times this year. And I can't think of a team that was shut out that many times or, or that inept on offense. That would say it's the running backs' fault. Yeah, that can't all be on your so, running back right there. Well, you're right. ne- you're never you're exactly. never going to blame the running running back, are you? <laughs> no, I mean, wait. Well, no, I'm not. But, but just so just so people go? just so people know, Leroy, before his uh, famous radio career, was a ten uh, year veteran of the NFL who actually played for the Browns when they actually won games. And for the Vikings, and before that was MVP of the Rose Bowl for my beloved alma mater, Michigan. Yeah. So We'll get to the Browns in a which, minute, don't you worry. <laughs> which brings me back to a more important question. Name a team or a franchise that fired a five-time Super Bowl winning coach. No, it just it doesn't happen. It, the it, Browns! Well, other than the they Browns. <laughs> other than the Browns. I mean... Well, he, was, he wasn't I mean, a... Fi- he, hold on. He, he wasn't, he a, wasn't five-time a five-time winning, winning Super Bowl coach but, when he was with the Browns. But the Browns do all kinds of things no. that people have never no, done no, no, before. No. But, okay, Jeff. Yeah. Name a coach that was fired by a franchise and went on to win five Super Bowls. <laughs> well, there's obviously none. Go ahead, Jeff. Right. Exactly. So, however you want to put it... It, it, that's a Browns thing. Was he? Know? Was he? Was he your coach? Yes. What, so t- so tell us. Was he the same Belichick that he is now, or is this something like when Terry Francona was with the Phillies? People said he didn't know what he was doing and couldn't, you know, manage his way out of so, a paper bag. And then all of a sudden, he went to the Red Sox, and he's a genius. You know what? Here's what they said. Now we all knew that he was brilliant in what he wanted to do he didn't have any power so that may have hamstrung him a little bit um the other thing is is like the team moved so we had so many things surrounding us then the team wasn't successful we had just come off a playoff uh a playoff year where we went to the divisional playoffs and then the following year don't ask me why. Here's another thing you've never heard. After the fourth or fifth game of the season, the team announces we're moving next year. <laughs> Nothing says fans come out and support us. Like, hey, we'll be gone in a couple games, right? Right. Exactly. So there were so many things. I mean, think of that coaching staff. We had Nick Saban. Wow. We had uh, we had Pat Hill. Maybe he's coached, I think, San Diego or San Diego State or somewhere out there. Eric Mangini and Scott Pioli were the guys who held up the cards for a scout team. Wow. 
I mean, it, it, there's so many coaches from just that staff, not that he coached with in general, that staff that went on to be head coaches. But that, but that was so, a, that's a different ownership group too, right? That was still Modell back then. Yes. Yeah. Now, now, you, now you have what Jimmy Haslam is running the team. They look like right, the guy, the guy right. that can't shoot straight right now, based yeah. on what happened this week. Let, let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> were you surprised to see that the Browns were unable to get a, dra- a trade in that they apparently made uh, trading uh, for AJ McCarron for a second and third rounder, but apparently didn't turn it in by the trade deadline? You know what shocked me about that? Not that that happened, because I'm thinking the way that um, the quarterback for uh, for the Cincinnati's been playing Dalton. Dalton's been playing. Uh, I mean, they probably wanted to hold on to. AJ McCarron. Well, Marvin Lewis was happy when the trade fell through. He was like, "All right, great." I just couldn't believe right. that the Browns couldn't even turn a card in. Like, you got one I, job. I don't. I don't know what. Look, I can't explain what happened, but you know, you have people in that organization who are football people, and the coach, and maybe some people around him, and then you have you know people that are not football guys that are trying to use other methods to 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 make it work and I could understand how it could just happen. I, I mean it it's unbelievable that it has to happen to this team. <laughs> well you you, but, you said something to me before we went on air about the about that the Browns is now a verb. <laughs> right. Right. Like well especially me, because everybody throws that to me is that huh that's so Browns. Like, just random, you know, anytime something goes wrong, and I'm like, I love my team, you know, and, and people don't realize I played more in Minnesota, but I've always been associated with the Browns. I go back every year, you know, I, I try to just tell people, be patient, because I was a part of a team where everybody was so impatient and didn't let it play out that you always wonder what the long term could have been with that. Yeah, but how patient so, can yeah, Browns fans be? Well, yeah, it, it starts adding up. But but I'm saying at that point, at that point, uh, we had just gotten our playoffs and then the team moved. So there wasn't a lot of love in Cleveland anyway. You know, then we went to Baltimore. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I get it. I understand it. But it's like, I guess this is one of those situations where the owner – needs to find a football guy. And even if they use all of these tools to find players and to do football things, they need an actual football guy to make sure that everything's going in order. So go apply. Like it should be going. Go apply. (laughs) You say you go back every year. Go apply. They got a baseball guy there now. Yeah. Leroy, you actually I touched mean, on a topic that, that Jeff uh, has strong opinions about, teams moving. He's yeah. not a fan of the two teams in L.A. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, Leroy, Leroy um, I've actually talked about this from an antitrust standpoint on this show, but um, you have three teams that have moved or are moving in the next couple years. So you have the, uh-huh. char- the Chargers playing before nobody. You have the Rams, right. and you have the Raiders now moving to Las Vegas. 
you you touched right. on the fact that that you picked up and moved after the season. Tell tell people what it's like because I I don't think you know people sit there and go wah poor athletes they're complaining, and, and people no. people don't realize how disruptive it is to a team and its players to have to go through this whole process of moving. It it, it really is. Um, I was a little bit younger. So I didn't have a family, but, but there are people, there were older guys that had families, kids in school, and, and stuff like that. And, and, and keep in mind, when you start playing with a football team, you may move, but you never in your wildest dreams thought the team was going to get up and move, especially the Cleveland Browns. So um, I understood, you know, the, the one misconception that people may have is that I don't really think it was Art Modell's fault. And a lot of people don't really understand what happened, and, and i just say this. When I first got to Cleveland in 1990, we had a – we practiced at Berea, which is a community college, or I don't even know if it might be more than that now. And we practiced and used their facilities in Berea, Okay. And when you walked into the building, there was a, 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 a diagram of a new stadium that was supposed to be built. This was in 1990. Then 1994. And the city built a new baseball arena, I mean a new baseball stadium, and a basketball arena. Still no football. And at the same time, that was right around when uh, Joe Robbie died. Okay, and yeah. if you remember, when Joe Robbie died, uh, because of the inheritance tax, they had to sell the team to pay the inheritance tax, and and so that's how Wayne Huizinga got the Dolphins, because they had to sell to pay the inheritance tax. So what all of these owners started doing was, is if you notice, there are no owners of football teams anymore they're ceos of corporations and 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 every team was going through the process of setting that up so, so at, at that went, time modell was an owner he that, was not a ceo that, right correct oh. and so my checks came from the cleveland browns okay when i went to baltimore the baltimore ravens corporation and so all this stuff was going on at the same time keep in mind that if you're an owner and the city promised you a stadium five years ago and you build two other arenas for the two franchises who aren't your bread and butter and then some city comes over and offers you money and a new stadium that certainly looks appealing and because it was the Cleveland Browns and one of the original teams, I promise you, if anything that the city of Cleveland was doing was legitimate, they would not have let that team leave. Interesting. But so, because of the team, Armodell never really defended himself. So we're talking about. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people even realize that story. We're, we're talking a bunch about owners and CEOs. Uh, and, and last week, unfortunately, we, we had 
the Texans owner or CEO, Bob McNair, makes some, some pretty unfortunate comments in the context of the protests that have been going on and the controversy. Mm-hmm. Just wondering if you had any reaction to that and, and what it's like to be in that locker room right now with, with so much acrimony, it seems, going on right now. I, I think as a team, in most cases, it's always been them and then the owner. Okay? It's always been them the coaches, the coaching staff, and then the owners. So are you talking, they've always are you, been a tight Are you talking about the Texans? Are you talking about the Texans or just, just in teams general, in general? In okay. general. In general, football teams. You have a couple of owners that are, you know, that interact with, with the, the, the team. Right. Jerry Jones might be one of those guys. But for the most part, um, you have the owner and then the, the football team and stuff like that. So you really don't have that relationship you know who the owner is but it's not like every there's only maybe five or six guys that actually have talked to the owner maybe more than that okay so when this happens you have to think that a majority of these guys don't have a relationship with the owner to be able to determine how to take it so the only way you can take it is for what it sounds like. The way it's said, the words that were used. That's the only frame of reference you have for it. Correct. My problem with it was, is, you know, first of all, you're talking about billionaire owners, all right? And let's let's be honest, old white guys, and they're making a comment, and most of your team's black. Now, Let's let's take that part of it. So it's already going to rub all the black guys the wrong way. Now think of it from this perspective, and this is how I thought of it, is that any time an athlete says something, I don't care what sport. We just had, who's uh, Guriel? Yuri Guriel? The baseball player. Yeah. Yeah. Who made some insensitive comments towards you, Darvish? Yeah, he made the ge- he made a gesture regarding his eyes. Yeah, right. did you see how they attacked him? Now he's a player. My only thought was, the higher up you go, the more accountable people should be held for what they say. So, if everybody's going to jump on a player, then if an owner says something like that, is it safe to say he should know better? Well, he should. It doesn't seem like there was any real discipline for him other than having to face his players. Exactly. So, when you look at how the players are treated, okay, it's a 15-yard flag for saying certain words on the field. It's a 15-yard penalty for, you know, Saying something derogative to another player on the field. So you think that exacerbates the problem is the disproportionate response to the players as opposed to of the people course. paying the players. Okay. So so if so you if I, you were I think it's more go ahead. If if you were Roger Goodell, God forbid. <laughs> I don't who, know if anybody Papa, wants to be in right Papa now. John saying yeah. he's being a poor leader right, right. now. Uh, what what would you what would you suggest be done? Because I agree with you. Nothing seems to have been done other than he seems to be a little embarrassed. Here's the problem. How do you punish your boss? 
That's exactly. And the owners are Roger Goodell's boss. People people want Goodell to do something, right. but they're the ones who hire him. Right. The only way that can happen is if all the other owners say, hey, you got to take the hit some kind of way. And the owners have been pretty silent on this. What are they going to say? They're all old white guys, all billionaires. They're yeah, the, all in the same boat. Yeah, the optics. They all may feel the same way. The, the optics I mean, I, I try not to ascribe motives to people about how their feelings might be unless they, they show those feelings. But the optics definitely aren't good for them of, of wealthy people sort of trying to treat your players in a certain way. Now, do you – Jeff and I have talked about it a lot. We don't believe that it, it, the argument is about the flag, even though people want to co-opt that. As a former player, right. what's your thoughts on them taking the protest action on the field before the game? Is that an appropriate forum for them as somebody who's Here, stepped on that field in between those lines? Here's what I tell people, and, and, and a lot of people can't understand why. But let me tell you where I'm from. I'm from New Orleans, okay? I'm from the South, the real South. South Florida is not the South. And, and, the South and then, is and then Alabama. He, did you ever see snow before you got to Ann Arbor? No, I didn't. <laughs> you go, I saw sleet a couple of times, but that don't count. Yeah, he was so, a fish out of water. <laughs> right. You got Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas. That's the South. You, you can go out east a little bit to South Carolina and Georgia. Okay, the real South. I grew up with the Ku Klux Klan. Okay? And I would ask my mom about the Ku Klux Klan. And my dad and my grandmother and my grandmother would tell me stories about when she was a kid, how she had to cross the street anytime there were white people walking on the other side. Now, this is... New Orleans, and I was born in 1968, and I was born in a segregated hospital in 1968. So understand where I come from with this. There's a couple of things that I will never fight against, and one of them's equal rights for all people, regardless of what your race is, your sexual orientation, regardless of it. I will never, ever, ever stop fighting for equality and the other thing is freedom because when I grew up and I would ask my mom about the Ku Klux Klan she would tell me it's a free country you have the right to protest or do whatever you want because this is a free country and I'm like even though they're hanging black people yes so my whole life I was just Stay away from them, but they, it's a free country. They can do what they want to do. And it's, it's – in... sorry, go ahead. Now, now, come to current day, and we're talking about equality. And then we take and twist this and make it about the flag, which is not – and I don't know how many times people can say this is not about the flag, but we make it about the flag. And you know why we make it about the flag? That's the easy way out. Well, and that's the thing. It's the context that you provide, and that's why we ask. I always, you know, I used to work in politics, and I would tell people what you see determines where you stand and where you've stood. The context that right. you bring to it 
provides a different light for people on why they're taking those actions as a protest. And it's uncomfortable for people to have that conversation. It's easier to talk about patriotism than it is the history that leads people to question some of the decisions made by the country. Sure. And, and you know, I say, and, and, and when people ask me, you know, hey, it's disrespecting the flag. It's, it's, it's disrespecting your country. I'm like, um, you know, in the 60s, they burned the flag in protest of Vietnam. So the flag is a piece of cloth. It's what it stands for that has more meaning. And what these players are questioning is what do you think this flag means? And they're not protesting the national anthem or our servicemen or anything like that. And, and so stop making it about that. But how about having the conversation? And you know what's amazing? Roger Goodell tried to get to a resolution, having conversations. He went on a drive-along with a player down here with cops. There are actually players that are out there trying to do something to make the relationship between people and police officers better. Well, we have that here in Philadelphia with, with Malcolm Jenkins and Chris Long and so we, we, we are lucky as a, a fan base to have some of those players that are taking those positive actions or change. Hey, Leroy, we're running out of time here real fast. If we could circle back to the start, though, Eagles fans going to be happy with Jay Ajayi at the end of this season? Absolutely. Absolutely, because he's going to – look, he's going to break a lot of tackles. And, I mean, there's only been, what, four other guys to run for over 200 yards three times in a year? You're getting me excited, so, Leroy. Yeah, but we actually that, have to run the ball getting. if we're going to do that. Hey, we're, we're doing so, better. I, wait, 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 wait. You're seven and one. Yeah. yeah Leroy, oh, I'm Jeff, not Jeff's not. How you got there? Leroy, in fairness, oh, Jeff's not really. In fairness, Jeff's not really an Eagles fan. He just plays one on the radio show. So you know. Oh, well, and the Dolphins are four and three and been blown out 40 to nothing, 20 to nothing, and 20 to 6. Yeah, so you don't really want to hear Jeff's complaints about, about what's going on. I understand <laughs> right. that. Exactly. Wait, wait, wait. Exactly. But, but, what, but we are going to offer you a trade. So, we're, we're hoping that, that, that we'll get to share this banter as, as Philadelphia teams play Miami teams in the future. Hopefully you'll come on our show and uh, we can return the favor if you want. But we're, we're going to offer you a trade right now in that we're going to give you Okafor for the, for, <laughs> for for the Heat <laughs> since he hasn't put on his uniform all season uh, and needs to we get out of town. Guy. Huh? We got a big guy. Hey, uh, I mean, not for nothing. Is it about time for this process to, to kick in? Well, oh, it's fun to watch. Hey, hey, we're basically sold out for the season, and we finally hit 500 for the first first time in four years. Hey, I don't know who's their salespeople, but, I mean, you just barely hit 500, and you selling out games? Yeah. Well, they did a good Ooh. job. They sold Jeff on tickets, so yeah. they must have done something hey, right there. Hey, <laughs> hey man, keep something in mind. We're not down in Miami. Yeah, <laughs> it gets cold here, and and we've had a couple of tough seasons. Right. So five hundred is definitely looking up for us. But we really appreciate right. you joining us, Leroy. Thanks so much for your take on everything. Thanks a lot, man. No problem. Have, Have a great one. one. All right. 
Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at one 337 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon residential landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. This is the Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer here in studio with Jeff Cohen. That was fun. It was. That was a good time. Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's a great guy. So you hung out with him in college? Yeah good time I, I won't ask any stories on the air though i'll probably be calling him <laughs> off the air to, to get a little bit of good gossip yeah, I, on I was a little worried because he's the kind of guy that actually would have brought something up but, yeah you didn't know what but i don't think you can going. remember that part people couldn't that, see so. jeff's face he was kind of holding his breath in studio that's okay <laughs> uh speaking of holding their breath eagles fans uh don't know what to make of right now they, they seem concerned about the elevated expectations and talk but we've got a seven and one team playing a Denver team at home this weekend that's traveling east with now Brock Osweiler as their starting quarterback. Cle for, who the Cleveland Browns are playing, who paying are, are to paying play for to the play. Broncos. Yeah. We should have brought that up with Leroy. Yeah. He probably would have had a good take on that, too. <laughs> how the, so, I think he only played with one quarterback instead of, like, three each week. So it wasn't pretty all the time against San Francisco, but the Eagles right. gutted out a game and, and won a game that they, they should have won opportunity to head into a bye at eight and one right now pretty much nobody could have predicted that no uh, but the, the problem is the good is is the broncos offense stinks the bad is is the broncos still have a superior defense and you still don't i i know peterson said that vitae did fine last week but what i saw was the pocket constantly collapsing around wins and that really worries me because if there's one team that can steamroll the offensive line, it's the Denver Broncos. Lane Johnson actually seemed to have a little bit of a rough game there, and, and yeah. he'll have Von Miller going against him this week. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we talked to Dave Spadaro last week, and he mentioned that's why you keep Lane on the right side because some of these teams have their best pass rusher coming off of that end. Uh, Ajayi should help in the pass block game. Yeah, um, he's easily he's a, their, he's a big bruising back, and but he's their best blocker in mm -hmm. terms of blitz pickup now, and I think that's one of the shortcomings of Smallwood that, that really bothered the team. He had a problem with blocking and picking up the blitz. Challenge well, wait, staying are healthy. We are we sure Jai is playing this week? No, we're not. I actually. don't. Th I don't think he is because look, he's got to learn a whole playbook. And and let's face it, do you really want to put him in 
with without knowing the pass blocking schemes against this defense. My guess is he'll have a set of plays that he'll be put in for the rotation. Right. And other but than it, that, but, I don't th- but but people shouldn't get all excited that and he's uh, going to uh, be. Other than that, it'll be like Darby and other players coming off a bye week next week. Yeah. You then have two weeks to prepare for Dallas on Sunday night. So in terms of the position the Eagles are in, you couldn't ask for them to be in better position. Yeah. And as think, far as Dallas goes, it looks it looks like maybe you won't have Ezekiel Elliott. Well, we'll see. It could I mean, change. That, that could change. Day, right. Explain to me how the legal system does this. See, the problem is it's it's not it's not the legal system. It's it's that the players' association attempted to get around the New York courts. The New York courts, which is where you're supposed to be venued for these disputes, based on their collective bargaining agreement, they know from the Tom Brady decision that that those judges and that that appeals court is likely going to rule in the NFL's favor. Well, in our profession, we call it forum shopping for for a place that you'll get a better result. They'll tell you it's not, but they went down to Texas. Obviously, Texas is a better venue. Chances are you might even have a couple judges that have Cowboys jerseys in their office. Didn't work for them. So it didn't work. But but as a result of that, they went down there, they filed, they got the injunction, they went to the, you know, and, and it went through the process down there, eventually was kicked out because a, te- a Texas court said, no, no, file it in New York. So it looks like a yo-yo because now they had to go file in New York and the New York court said, nope, Ezekiel Elliott, you're out. And so now it goes to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals and they're attempting to see if they can get that reversed. I don't know how you don't get a headache following all this legal stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it, it's I can't the day-to-day it. part of the job. Well, we'll see whether he's on the field when the Eagles play them coming off of their bye week, but it's definitely a fun place to be. And I think it has some Eagles fans worried they're not used to being the favorite anymore and uh the the eagles clearly have a target on their back now teams are going to be aiming for them they're i think they're number two in the odds for the super bowl at this point even though you don't want to say that word because it's early you know that's what i think concerns people is that hype that comes out of nowhere for a team that you didn't expect to be in this position i've never bought that that argument that now they have a target on their back who's not playing their hardest anyway so, so I, I get that there's an extra motivation, but professional athletes are already playing at their maximum. It, it's not like there's another gear that they can kick into because we, the Eagles have a good record. I, I think I know we host you. this show at our maximum. I don't know about you. I mean, I give it all I've got. Yeah, me too. Well, well I, I think we might have another game. I don't know. According to your picks last week, you didn't give it all you got. Oh, here we go. So we didn't read those on the air, yeah. which is unfortunate, but I did make sure to keep track of what went on. And don't even try and say that I changed I'm it afterwards because I've got a screenshot of the document from yeah. before we started. So I was, uh, you were seven and five last week, which is pretty good week winning record i was 11 right. and 1 i'll take that i might quit now uh-huh. i will never be as good as i am right now in terms of shape you're 52 and 45 on the season i'm 62 and 35 because we've only got a couple minutes left in the segment yeah do you even want to go through picks on the air no, or I just don't. keep you no, know i'm not 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 this week could, could i ask, i'm not helping could, anybody say, unless they're gonna do the I, opposite could of I what ask, i do if you were doing better with picking would you want to go through it on the sure air? Okay, so this yeah. is a product not of time, but of embarrassment. No, and I think we have to get to the Sixers. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have to get to the Sixers. So tell me, the other night you went down to the Sixers game, yeah. and you saw a pretty fun game. I, I listened on the radio, and the next thing I know, it's 25-8 to 8 to start the game. Yeah, and then they're losing. <laughs> and then they're losing. But tell me what you saw down there. You went down with your son, which is, I, I love the, the parent child relationship around sports mm. tell me what you guys saw down there in that arena the other night well it's it's also what you heard it's electric 
But it, it but I'll tell you that the Sixers fans are knowledgeable and they don't mess around. So when when the Sixers were up twenty five to eight, that place was jumping. When they started falling, it went, when when they slowly the lead dissipated, all of a sudden they were booing. <laughs> they didn't wait. And and Embiid doesn't seem bothered by it. Embiid just comes out there, and he's got the fans going, much like Iverson did, where he's constantly playing to the crowd. But the Simmons is more than anybody could have ever hoped. That dunk he had at the end of the game, driving down the lane, yeah, was the, something special. It, it did prevent him from getting the triple double. But it, but that's what Simmons needs to do more. Simmons, you can see there are times when he's not aggressive enough. And then there are times at like at the end of that game where all of a sudden he does have this extra gear where he he looks like he's gliding into the lane and then there's this explosion on his last step and he can just dunk over two guys. It is fun to see Embiid and Simmons on the court together. Embiid and, played th- and Covington and Covington. We'll talk yeah. about him in a second. Embiid played thirty plus minutes against Atlanta. I think it's the first time that he's played thirty minutes. Good to see him. In the game that much, really playing well. If he would just stay up, I, I, you I know, get nervous he every time he falls down. Play. I get, it, it, I don't breathe again until he stands back up mm-hmm. and isn't limping when he does it. So the Sixers are now 500 for the first time since November of 2013. Yeah, just think about that for a second. They played 325 games without reaching the 500 mark. It's been a long few years. It's there's six three-plus game winning streaks since the start of 2013-14 mm-hmm. season. It, it, it's an exciting time to, to be six. I mean, look, and they're doing this without their number one pick in the draft. Yeah, let's talk about him for a second. The latest so, red shirt? So, yes, the yeah. Sixers' latest red shirt freshman. Yeah. All right. Team doctor, I, can you mishandle injuries any more than the Sixers do? I went on a rant last I'm week. Pr- I'm pretty sure you can't. I mean... So you and I question why Markel Fultz was even in the game. Right now he's out three weeks, maybe at out least, longer. At least, what is this team doing? I have no idea. Uh, it, it made no sense to I have mean, him. They want to trade Oka altering his shot. They want to trade Okafor, but they won't put him in the rotation to show he's on the floor. Maybe because they're worried he's going to get hurt he and they won't be able to no trade him. He has no value now. Well, zero. According to that's, the team, they're going to be able to trade him now. That's why they turned down his option. Is because they didn't want to get stuck with it now. I don't know if they could have mismanaged. I don't look. I am not an Okafor fan. You Neither am I. But but the way that well, they you are treating Giannis this, in that, that draft. Yeah, well, and Porzingis. And Porzingis. Uh, but but um, to me, the biggest problem is 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 that now you have the NBA Players Association starting to grumble, and players are starting to grumble about the way that they're they're going to lose all their goodwill. Is you're going into next year and the year after with free agency, and you want to be able to fill in those pieces and maybe get the, maybe get a max player. If if they see that you're leaving a guy in his suit when he could when he is worth playing, you're going to hurt yourself. And Colangelo is not getting himself a good reputation. That's going to be the last inspiring thought for the week. You think the Eagles are going to win this Sunday? Yes. All right. We both have the Eagles winning on Sunday. Thank you for joining us this week on the Heart of Sports. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.